Hallelujah. You know, you, you mentioned, uh, and I've seen the bumper sticker that says, you know, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And I've, I've seen another one that actually says, God said it, that settles it, whether or not I believe it, right? So whatever God's word says is true, whether I choose to believe it or not. And that's what we're gonna talk about a little bit about this morning. We're gonna talk our, our second week on the topic of heaven. How many are excited to go to heaven? Yeah. How many wanna go right now? Not so much, right? We don't wanna go right now. But that is what we are looking towards. That is the end goal of our life. And this life, the Bible says, is just a, a mist or a vapor. It, it goes by that fast. And the older you get, the faster it goes. Is that right? Fun, yeah. Like, like Katie said, it was just yesterday we were decorating for Easter. And, and tomorrow it's going to be decorating for Thanksgiving again. So, yeah, it's, it goes fast. But we look forward to heaven and we're excited about what's going to be there for us. So let's talk a little bit more about what heaven is going to be like. And we talked last week, we know that it was not created. Heaven was not created. It's always been, it's eternal. If that's God's home, God's eternal, it, it has to be eternal as well. It wasn't part of the created universe. And since it's not part of the created universe, heaven is outside of the created universe. So we can't you're not going to see it. I've seen articles that saw, you know, the Hubble telescope saw heaven somewhere. You're not going to see heaven. It's outside the physical universe. So what's it like? What are we going to see there? Heaven is truly a mystery to us because no one has actually been there to see it and come back. Now, Paul had that one experience in 2 Corinthians 12, 2. It says this. Paul says, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether my body was there or just my spirit, I don't know, only God knows. But I do know that I was caught up into paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be told. So heaven is indescribable. We really can't describe what it's like. We can only go by what the Bible says. Now, I know there's a lot of stories out there about people who have, quote, died, gone to heaven and come back. Yeah, I don't put a lot of stock in that. Jury's still out for me on that one. We actually played the movie here a while ago, Heaven's For Real. How many remember that? It was popular a few years back. Um, and as we were watching the movie, I was really seeing in the movie some biblical disconnects with what was told and what the Bible tells us about heaven. Um, there was another book out called The Boy Who Went to Heaven. That was several years ago. And that, that kid who actually said that book, wrote that book, recanted it. He said, ah, I'm just making it up. So. I don't bank on those examples. And if you're looking to that as your example for heaven, yeah, take it with a grain of salt. Look at what the Bible says about it only. If there, you know, because a lot of times those experiences, and especially we saw the movie Heaven's For Real, they lull you into the thinking that everyone's gonna be there. Everyone that we know is gonna be there. In fact, there's only like three people are gonna wind up in hell. Hitler, you know, all those types. They're the only ones who are gonna go to hell. Everyone's gonna make it to heaven. And we kinda, we know that's a little bit untrue. So Paul said, even in verse five, he says, the experience is something not worth boasting about, so I'm not even gonna do it. So he's not even gonna talk much more about it other than what the Bible says. 
The only real definitive answers we get are from God's word. So we, we started last week with questions. You know, rather than trying to just go into a sermon, we just ask questions and figure what the Bible says about that. So the first question today is, are we going to have physical bodies in heaven and will we be recognizable? Now the Bible isn't explicit on this, but we do know that we're gonna have some kind of a physical, tangible body. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 says this. It's the same way for the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies which die and decay will be different when they are resurrected for they will never die. Our bodies now disappoint us, right, it's true. But when they are raised, they'll be full of glory. They are weak now, but when they are raised, they will be full of power. They are natural bodies now, but when they are raised, they will be spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there will also be spiritual bodies. Now, after Jesus' resurrection, we know that he had a physical body. He walked on the earth. People recognized him. John 19, or 20, verse 19. That evening on the first day of the week, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he held out his hands for them to see, and he showed them his side. Luke 24, 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles outside of Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. Suddenly, Jesus himself came along and joined them and began walking beside them. But they didn't know who it was because God kept them from recognizing him. So they were walking with someone, they, a, a guy. God prevented them from knowing who it was. Otherwise, I think they would have known. Otherwise, you know, God prevented them from seeing it. So they're walking with him, talking with him. He was not a spirit. He wasn't glowing. He was just a normal looking guy walking with him. So, and God later at dinner opened their eyes and he realized who it was. So it was a physical, tangible body. At the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah had bodies and they were recognized. Matthew 17, verse three says, suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter blurted out, Lord, this is wonderful. If you want me to, I will make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So they recognized who they were. Now my question on that one is, how do they know what they look like? They know cameras. They didn't know they were Moses and Elijah. They were just two guys. As far as I can tell, you know, thousands of years had transpired since those guys walked. How would they have images of them? How would they know? Unless someone was able to capture an image maybe by portrait or drawing, whatever. But in either case, Peter knew who they were from how they appeared. They had recognizable physical bodies, but they were different. If you remember back in what we read earlier, Jesus kind of just like beamed into the room. He either walked through a door, walked through a wall, or he just got transported, like Star Trek, he got transported into the room. Job also mentions a body after his death. Job 19.26 says, after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. In Revelation, it talks about us wearing clothing in heaven. Good thing, right? Now clothing, if you are gonna wear clothing, it requires a physical body on which to hang the clothing, correct? Revelation 6, 9 says this, 
And when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their witness. They called loudly to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long will it be before you judge the people who belong to this world for what they have done? When will you avenge our blood against these people? Verse 11 says, then a white robe was given to each of them. Revelation twenty-two fourteen says, blessed are those who wash their robes so they can enter through the gate of the city and eat from the fruit of the tree of life. And finally, not only will we have bodies, it won't be anything different than, it won't be a, you know, a, a ghost-like body like we kind of image. Second Corinthians 5, 2 says, we grow weary in our present bodies for we long for the day when we will put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. And verse three says, for we will not be spirits without bodies, but we will put on new heavenly bodies. So yes, you're gonna be recognizable. People are gonna know who you are. You'll have some kind of a physical body. I don't know what age we're gonna be. Bible doesn't tell us. If you pick an optimum age, 30 maybe, I don't know, doesn't tell us, but it's gonna, we're gonna have a perfect body that is recognizable by other people. And so since, what is the number one thing Christians like to do? Eat, eat. So the second question is, are we going to eat in heaven? Yes, we're going to. And remember, all the food there is gonna be good for you, right? Not gonna be any chips there, I don't think. I know. No, no pop, no bad things, and you don't have to worry about your weight. Don't have to worry about any gluten things or any kind of allergies or any kind of lactose stuff. All that's gonna be good. All will be gone. Now, it does not mention meat. If there's no death in heaven, yeah, you can't kill any animals to eat, right? So it doesn't mention any meat. The marriage supper of the lamb is not lamb. It's your eating dinner with Jesus, okay? So there's no meat in heaven as far as we know. The marriage supper of the lamb tells us that we are going to eat in heaven. Verse Revelation 19, 6. Then I heard again what sounded like the shot of a huge crowd or the roar of mighty oceans or the crash of loud thunder. Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and honor him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb and the bride has prepared herself. Revelation 19.9 says, and the angel said, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the lamb. So we're gonna eat. If we have bodies, we're gonna need to consume food. Jesus ate when he, after he was resurrected, Luke 22 or 24.41, and then he asked them, do you have anything to hear to eat, Jesus says. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. So we saw Jesus eating in his resurrected body. John 21, 12 says, now come and have some breakfast, Jesus says. And no one dared ask him if he was really the Lord because they were sure of it. Then Jesus served them bread and fish. Revelation 2, 7, everyone who is victorious will eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Revelation 2, 17, everyone who is victorious will eat of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. Psalm 78, 24, he gave them bread from heaven. They ate the food of angels. Now, I'm thinking man is like a bread, from what I gather. If we're gonna have the food of angels, 
that means we're going to have maybe the same manna that Israel had in the desert. But we're going to have food that we eat, and, and I don't think it's going to be like it was in Israel. We're not going to get sick of the food. It's going to be food that we enjoy eating, and we're going to continue to eat. Now, number three question, and this is a good one. Are you going to remember your earthly lives when you're in heaven? Now, think about that. Most of us probably want to remember the good things about our life. But maybe there's some folks who have really had a bad life and they don't want to remember that stuff. They want to have a new start. Now, the Bible gives us a little clarity on it, but not much. Isaiah 65, 17 says, Behold, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The formal things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Now, that would seem to indicate that we have no recollection of what happened here. But the verse before that says this, in verse 16, says, for the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. So only the the things in your life that you don't want to remember will be blotted out. And I tend to think it's that way. If we have remembrance of who people are, like Peter remembered Moses and Elijah and people knew Jesus, If people recognize them, they're going to remember them from the past. Now, one commentary says it this way. Our memories won't be wiped out. It's just that in the beauty of heaven, they won't come to our mind. And I was thinking about that. Y'all just got back from Hawaii, suffering for Jesus. When you're in a, a garden spot like Hawaii, Everything's still going on at home. You still got a job to come back to and all that stuff. All, but while you're there, all you're focused on is the, the greatness of Hawaii. Man, what a beautiful spot. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not thinking about home. I'm not thinking about the car. I'm just enjoying myself right where I am. And that's kind of what heaven's going to be like. You'll, you'll remember that stuff, but you're going to be so enwrapped in all the beauty of heaven that you're not going to think about it. It's not going to have, it's not going to come to your mind, the Bible says. You're having such a good time enjoying the manifold blessings of God, the perfection of heaven, that you're not even going to think about the, the struggles we had here. So, all these things, you think about all these things that are going to be a part of heaven, and you kind of want to go now. You know, our, our pastor used to say, if God could take you to heaven right now, would you want to go? If you had a choice and you want to go right now, would you go? And most people said no, not yet. And I understand that because there's still work for us to do here, right? If we leave, if we're gone, how's the gospel going to be spread? How are the people that we love and care for going to hear about Christ if we're not here? And you think about it, what is the one thing that we can't do in heaven? that we can do here. We can worship in heaven. We can actually talk to Jesus face to face in heaven. We'll know God's word perfectly in heaven, but we won't be able to tell anybody about Christ. So all the influence that we have, the only reason really that we're here now, the biggest reason that we exist as a church, as Christians, is to evangelize people. So that people have the opportunity to hear about Christ before their time is up. 
and knowing what lies ahead, we should be excited about what God wants to do. Number four question, do we become angels in heaven? How many have heard that? No, that's an easy answer. We've already established that we will have physical and recognizable bodies. We will not have wings. We will not be disembodied spirits. When Jesus says we will be like the angels, he was referring to not being given in marriage. We're not gonna have that type of relationship that we have here, but we will not be angels. Which leads us into the next question. Do angels take you to heaven when you die? Again, it would seem so. Luke 16, 22, rich man and Lazarus says the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Hebrews 1.14 says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So from those two verses, we can assume, I, mean, I wouldn't you know, bet my last dollar on it, but it seems like from those two scriptures, that is exactly what happens. And you know, not that I, I discount these stories that people have, but we've seen, we've heard stories about people who are on their deathbed who have seen angels in their room before they, before they pass away. Again, you know, it's just anecdotal, but God's word does say that at least in this instant, instance, the angels took him to paradise. And if God did it once, I would assume that God does it consistently. Number six, this is probably one that we think about a lot. What are we gonna do when we're there? What are we gonna do? Is there gonna be one long church service? Can you imagine that? You know, as, as exciting and as invigorating as I might be, you're not gonna to wanna to spend eternity listening to anybody, except maybe Jesus. But it's not gonna be one, one big church service. The first thing it tells us is we are going to rest from our earthly work. Revelation 14, 13 says, then I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Now, it doesn't mean we're not gonna do anything. It just means that we will work, but it will not be drudgery. If you remember, God instituted work before the fall, right? He said, maintain the garden. After the fall, the work remained, he said, it's gonna be hard for you now. It's gonna be, you're not gonna like it. It's gonna be difficult. At the beginning, work was enjoyable. They, you know, you liked doing it. Imagine going to a job that you thoroughly love to do. And you just can't wait to get there. And the whole time you're there, you love what you're doing, the things you're doing, it, it produces encouragement in you and you leave, just can't wait to get back the next day. Now. I don't know if anybody has a job like that. But imagine going to a job that even if they didn't pay you, you would go and, and you would give it your all because you enjoyed it so much. There's no traffic jams on the way to work. There's no coworkers to have problems with. You get along perfectly with everyone and the manual labor that you do is, is just rewarding. How many have ever worked on a project and when you finish it, you just get a great sense of satisfaction. Man, it was, I did that. Either I built it or I put it together or I, whatever it was. I solved that problem, whatever it was. 
when you're done, you just look back and say, that was, that was great, I, I love that. That's what they, that's the kind of work we're gonna do. The work that we love to do. Now, here, when you do that kind of work, you expect a raise or a remuneration for that, right? You expect to get, well, not gonna be any raises. But you're not gonna care because you love doing what you do. The second thing it says is we will serve him all the time. Revelation 7.15 says, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. So we will be working for God. God will be our boss and we will enjoy what we're doing. Everything we do, we will just have this sense of joy while we're doing it. It won't be drudgery, it won't be something we just don't like to do. It will be things that we get satisfaction from and we enjoy it. It won't be one constant church service. It won't be being boring. A lot of the commentaries I read, the question is, is heaven gonna be boring? No. Now part of serving God will be worshiping, and we talked a little bit about this last week. Revelation 5, 13 says, and then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. They also sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said amen and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped God and the lamb. Revelation 7:11 says all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Heaven is not going to be boring. Everything we do, we will enjoy doing and we will do it perfectly and we will get great satisfaction out of doing it. One commentary writer says this, every moment of eternity will be an adventure in discovery. Exciting. Question, when do we get there? When do we arrive in heaven? In other words, from the time we close our eyes to the time we wake up in heaven, how much time is that? Is there a time lag, is it instant? Well, we believe it's instant. There is no, there's no waiting room for heaven. Some folks believe in a, in a purgatory, which is like a waiting room, you know, you're not quite there yet, but you'll get there eventually. Some believe in soul sleep. How many have ever heard that term? Soul sleep means after you die, you kind of stay in a state of unconsciousness or whatever until the final resurrection. But neither of those are true. The Bible refers to if you are a Christian and you, and you die in Christ, the Bible refers to that as sleeping. It doesn't ever refer to it as death. John eleven eleven says, after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I'm going there to wake him up. Now we know that Lazarus was actually dead, but Jesus refers to him as sleeping. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, listen, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, which is indicating death, but we will all be changed. Sleep is a biblical metaphor for physical death, not spiritual death, physical death, when your body stops, stops functioning. I remember my dad, when he was, uh, 60 or so, he had a, had a heart attack and he flatlined in the ambulance. And they obviously brought him back. But in his opinion, he died. But he didn't die. His brain waves were still working. His heart was resuscitated. 
even though he technically flatlined, he was not physically dead. And a lot of people who had those near-death experiences aren't technically physically dead. Their body is still alive and they're bringing it back. Spiritual death is something else. Physical death is what happens when our body stops functioning and we start to physically decay. It is not soul sleep. And the Bible is pretty clear on this issue. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. In other words, you close your eyes here, you instantly open your eyes in paradise. There's no time lag, it's instant. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, right? Now, if anybody was gonna go to purgatory, this guy would have gone to purgatory because he didn't do anything right his whole life. He got saved hours before he died and Jesus says, yep, today. The minute you close your eyes, basically, is when you're gonna wake up. I used to, I don't know about you, but I used to be afraid of dying. I didn't know what it was like. Obviously, nobody does. I can't explain it. And I always used to wonder, now if I, if I die, is my body still able to feel pain? Do I feel, do I, do I sense things? Do I know what's going on around me? And a lot of things that we, that the world anticipates or thinks about death is resolvable when you study God's word. It takes all that fear and unknowingness away and you realize, man, this is, when you die, that's it. And you wake up in heaven, you wake up in paradise if you know Christ. Next question, who was heaven made for? Well, the Bible tells us it was made for all of us, right? Matthew 25, 41 says, then the king will turn to those on his left and say, away with me, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. So if, if hell was only created for the devil and his angels, that must mean that heaven was originally prepared for all of us. That was before the fall, when we were perfect. If there are two places to go after you die, and one of them was not made for us, now necessarily heaven was originally planned for us to be there. However, because of the choices we make, we choose not to go there. God's desire is we all, we all end up there. That's God's plan. First, or 2 Peter 3.9 says he does not want anyone to perish. So he's giving more time for everyone to repent. The choices we make here determine where we want to spend eternity. If we disacknowledge God, either through atheism or through agnosticism, whatever it might be, or you, you focus on another deity, you're basically saying to God, I don't want you in my life here. And God says, okay, I will honor that. When you die, you're not going to be with me. I will honor your choice here. If you choose to not follow me, I'm not going to change and make you do something you don't want to do, so I'm going to let you have the natural consequence of your choice here. The Bible says God wants everyone to come to Christ, everyone to repent, everyone to have eternal life. But we know that's not going to happen because the Bible says that wide is the road that leads to destruction, narrow is the way to heaven, few find it. Our job as Christians is to make sure that as many people as we can find it.
our job is to, to really understand what happens after we die. And we've talked about hell before. We're talking about heaven today. And sometimes if it's something that's distant in the future, you don't think about it that much. You don't prepare for it. You, you ask any teenager today, they're invincible. They're never, you know, I'm 18, I'm never gonna die. And then 40 years passes them by and they start thinking about it. But the choices we make here ultimately determine what happened to us when we die. Which leads us to the next question. Who actually goes there? If heaven was made for all of us, then why don't we all get in? What about good and sincere people? What if people who are just live good moral lives, they're sincere about what they believe? Unfortunately, no. You can be sincere, but sincerely wrong. How many remember watching the uh, It's a Wonderful Life movie? If you remember in the movie, at the beginning of the movie, the pharmacist sends Jimmy Stewart's character off with medicine that he was sincere about giving to that patient. He was sincere. He was doing his job. He was convinced in his mind that that was the right medicine for that patient. Jimmy Stewart's character realized that it wasn't and it would have killed that guy had that guy taken this medicine. So Jimmy Stewart's character took it back and they made the switch. The point is, the pharmacist was a good guy. He was sincere, he wanted to help that person, but he was sincerely wrong in what he was doing. And a lot of times we, we misconstrue sincerity for truth. We can be sincere about something, but it not be true. Entrance into heaven is only obtained by placing our trust in the finished work of Christ. It's easy. We think it's easy because we're already here. Since we don't know where heaven is, but we do know where God is, and we want to go to be with God, then we need to know how to get there. John 14, 6 says, Jesus told them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one... No one can come to the Father except through me. So if you want to go where God is after we die, and the Bible says the only way to get there is through Christ, then we have to place our trust in Christ to get to the Father. Acts 4.11 says this, For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is no salvation, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name in all of heaven for people to call on to save them. There are not many ways to heaven. There are not multiple roads that lead you to heaven. There is one road that leads you to heaven. And that one road is through Christ. Since heaven is a place of perfection, which means you need to be perfect to get in, the question is how do you get perfect? Now, I don't need to tell us this, but you guys know you're sinners, right? You know that? You know, we're all sinners. And it doesn't change as you get older. 
Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious standard. In other words, God's standard for getting into heaven is perfection. And sin keeps you out of that perfection, keeps you out of heaven. Romans 3.10 says, No one is good. Not even one. It's like when Paul writes that, he's repeating himself in the same sentence because he's sure to get the response when he says, well, no one's good. Well, what about so-and-so? He finishes it by saying, not even one. There's no one who is righteous. No one is worthy of getting to heaven. So if we're all sinners and we're not perfect, how do we change that? Romans 6.23 says, well, the wages of sin is death. And that where they're talking about spiritual death too. So how do we get perfect? If we're imperfect and we can't make it and we're, not, we're sinners, we can't change that. The rest of that verse says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Romans 3.25, God was entirely just and fair when he did not punish those who sinned in former times. And he is entirely fair and just in this present time when he declares sinners to be right in his sight. How? Because they believe in Jesus. Acts 16.19, trembling with fear, the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now all of these sentences are not merely a a factual assent to knowledge. In other words, I would venture to say that most people believe that Jesus existed. Pretty much everyone believes he existed. The rub comes in, do you believe that A, Jesus is God, and B, is he the only way to heaven? Those are the two questions you gotta ask and answer yourself. And all of these things are saying to them, it's not just knowing the knowledge, it's having the relationship. I, can, I know about a lot of people, people in the news, people in politics, people in, in Hollywood, you know them. You watch their movies, you watch them on TV, you watch the news report, you wanna strangle some of them, but you know who they are but you don't know them. You don't have a relationship with them. If you saw them on the street and you went to talk to them, they might think you were crazy because even though you know everything about them, as a public figure, they have, you have no relationship with them. Romans 10.10 says this, for it is by believing in your heart, not here, believing in your heart that you're made right with God and it's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Every week we give, we call them altar calls, if you're not familiar with the term. We preach and then we ask people to make a decision. Every time when Peter preached his, his message to the 3,000, he had to make a decision, had to make a choice. And the, the crowd said to him, brothers, what must we do to be saved? And Peter told them how they, what they had to do. Every sermon, everything we hear whether it's salvation or anything else in God's word, always requires a decision or a choice on our part. What are we gonna do with the information that has been given to us? I was talking to the teenagers today 
and they're you know talking about school and classes and stuff and they're they're worried about their math classes or science classes and you know we pray for them but and I and I pray that God is able to sink that knowledge into their head so they're able to use it later when you learn something how do you apply it to your life? Do you, do you make conscious choices based on the information you have? If you don't make a choice, there's an old song lyric that says, if you refuse to make a choice, you've still made a choice. You've chosen not to acknowledge the information you've received. If we tell you that the roads are icy, be careful on your way home, and you refuse to acknowledge that information, what happens? You might have a wreck. If we tell you there's a fire down the street, go around the other way, and you don't listen to it, and you get down the street, you get caught in traffic. Everything we disseminate in the way of biblical information is required, it requires us to make a choice. What are we gonna do with that information? Are we gonna let it change our life? If we are serious about wanting to be in paradise when this life is over, then we make a choice now. And when we, we talked about in, in the worship part, we say Jesus changes everything. And I'm here to tell you, it's like Pastor Keith said, when Christ comes into your life, he transforms you. He really transforms your thinking who you are. It's amazing, you know, I got saved when I was 30. So you look back at what I did before I was 30, and it's amazing the transformation that God made. I, I, can't, I can't explain it. Nothing else could have changed that except God. I didn't know that coming in, but when I walked away from the altar, it was like, I get it, I get it. And that's what Christ promises when he says transformation. And we're talking about heaven, that's what we're all preparing for. That's the ultimate end game of this life. Not only do we have a blessed life here and God prepares us for heaven here, when we're done, we're gonna wind up being there. Now the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 3 that there are rewards that we get here for heaven. The things that we do for God here, if we do them from our heart for God's glory, God says, hey, not only are you gonna get to heaven, you're gonna get rewards for these too. Now it says if you get, you know, if you don't do anything for God, you get saved, you're gonna make it but by the skin of your teeth and you will be embarrassed on that day. You'll make it in. But when everyone else is getting accolades and awards and God's acknowledging them, you're gonna be over the sidelines not getting any recognition. You'll make it in. And the reason that God says that is because our lives here make a difference to the people we come in contact with. How we live our lives here, if we honor God with our lives, people see that. And people wanna know what it is we have. They wanna know why we're joyful. They wanna know why we go to church. They wanna know different things. Only because of how we live. And if we live to honor God here, not only do we experience temporal blessings, you get eternal blessings too. What do I mean by temporal blessings? If you, if you obey the Ten Commandments, you don't go to jail. You have friends. You don't cheat on your spouse. You don't covet. You don't do all these things. Those, those are blessings that you receive here. If you honor your spouse, 
you receive blessings here. If you love your kids, you receive blessings here. But you do that ultimately so that that person, those people come to know Christ. That's the ultimate goal because we know that when this life is over, there is some place that we're going to go. And we want to be, and we want everyone to be in heaven with us as much as we can. Because as the saying says, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And we want to make sure that as Christians, we are doing all that we can do to make sure that people at least have the opportunity to choose. That's why we're here. That's why this church exists. What's our, what's our vision? Anybody remember the vision? Don't look in your bulletin. <laughs> Connecting to God, building people, offering hope. The older you get, the more you're getting closer, obviously, to that point. And what is the hope of this life? The hope of this life is to have eternal life with Christ. And all the things that we suffer here are inconsequential compared to what faces us when we die. And the choices we make here determine how we're going to be blessed not only here, but there. Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment? Maybe you're here this morning and you've been a part of this church forever. I was a part of a church for three years before I got saved. So it's possible to sit in in churches and not know Jesus. Or maybe this is your first or second time here or somewhere in between. But as we said in the sermon, there's a choice to be made. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. It also says we have no guarantee that we will have that choice available to us tomorrow. So if you're here this morning and you've never really trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, you've never asked God to come into your life and change you from the inside out, to acknowledge to God that, Lord, I am a sinner. And I know that in me there's no good thing, as the Bible says. And I realize that the only way that I can have that record wiped clean, totally clean, forgiven, is by putting my trust in what Jesus did for me on the cross. The suffering he went through, the punishment and the death should have been mine. But because he did it, I'm gonna put my trust in him who did it for me. If you wanna put that trust in him now and you wanna be sure the Bible says these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. If you don't know, you're not sure, you're on the fence whether you're gonna go to heaven or not, the Bible says you can be guaranteed that you'll know. And you'll know that because you've placed your faith in Jesus. If you wanna do that this morning, I want you to raise your hand right now. 
Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have reached into our lives. The Bible says you have chosen us. We didn't choose you. You looked into our lives and you saw something that you wanted to save. You wanted that relationship with us. You loved us before we loved you. And now we're able to love you because you've already done that. So Lord, I pray your blessings upon each person here. Allow each one of us to really anticipate the glory that we're going to have when we're in heaven. It's an exciting time. It's a, it's a mystery still to a lot of us. We don't know everything there is to know. But Father, we trust what your word says is true. We will know each other. We will have perfect bodies. We will have fellowship around food. We will be taken there personally by your angels. And the moment we close our eyes here is the moment we wake up in heaven free of any sickness, suffering, pain, or sorrow. And Father, even if we have many more years left in our life that we think, we want to be prepared for it now. So Lord, allow us to live our lives in anticipation of that. Allow us to always be aware of our surroundings. Set us up with divine appointments. Allow us to be able to share Jesus with people that we see. Help us to share the excitement we have and the hope that we have with someone who doesn't have it. So Father, I pray your blessings upon each one of us here as we leave today. Go before us, Father, make every crooked way straight. Set us up divine appointments and allow us to be used by you for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Have a tremendous week. We'll see you Wednesday. Bible study and worship tonight.